young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. <laughs> They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Hello, this is the devil. The opinions expressed on WSUM by its hosting guests do not necessarily represent the opinion of the station as a whole, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or the Board of Regents, because we strongly encourage free speech, the healthy exchange of ideas, and because we want to represent the best our listeners have to offer, we try to bring a range of ideas protected under the First Amendment. We do not play music that has naughty words in it between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. Our staff does not use obscene or indecent language during those times. Please feel free to send any comments, positive or negative. <laughs> Regarding our policy by email to our program director at prog at wsum.wisc.edu or by regular mail to program director care of WSUM Radio P.O. Box 260020 Madison, Wisconsin 53726-0020. Thank you. This is WSUM Madison, the snake on the lake, 91.7 FM. WSUM 91.7 FM, welcome to another normal edition of XX underscore dialogue underscore squad underscore XX. My name is Wacky Willie D, here with co-host DJP, aka Jacob Peterson. My uh, alt alias name that I go by outside of this studio <laughs> is William Doty. Um, our Facebook is facebook.com slash dialogue squad, soundcloud.com slash Wacky Willie D. Um, and there you can find all of our episodes and funny yeah. political posts and, and can... whatnot. Because we are a political talk <clears throat> show on WSUM, and we talk about current events. We offer our opinion and try to stay uh, neutral and uh, reference Red Letter Media and The Simpsons every once in a mm-hmm. while. And, yeah, uh, and if you are if you also want to embarrass us, you can go back to last week's show where I said this shutdown will last for four weeks. And ha, I think I was off by, off by, like, what, 21? Or sorry, 24 days? Um, so yeah, 25 probably. rather. Um, yeah. Yeah. Four it times seven is 28 quickly. minus three is. Yeah. Okay. What? Um, we got this. They pass a stop gap. <laughs> if you don't know, mm-hmm. excuse me. So um, it was a, it was a three week continuing resolution, um, that funds and that funds the government until what the, the 8th of February. Yeah. And then in also included in, in the bill was, a a provision to extend the, the, uh, funding of the, um, state child health insurance program for six years. Mm hmm. Um, Which had been unfunded since September. Yeah, the Senate <laughs> voted. Um, this is on January twenty second, so uh, last week, uh, Senate voted to reopen the government after eighty one senators uh, broke the filibuster that shut it down. Um, it was a bipartisan group that opened it. There were some people holding out strong, like more conservative Republicans, like um, Rand Paul, of course, because he viewed it as fiscal irresponsibility. Um, do you know who else was Lindsey Graham? Was he eventually on it? Oh, uh, like know? on the Republican side, I don't really know. But the, all the Democrats in the Senate who are planning on running in in twenty twenty, they all voted against it. Yeah, which so. which makes sense because they see it as um, or Democratic voters see it as, and I'm sure the Democratic um, 
representatives themselves view it as the uh, Trump administration, excuse me, holding DACA hostage with the uh, budget bill. And this is just giving an opportunity mm-hmm. for him to hold DACA hostage longer. And they see it as it gives them a way to call the Trump administration irresponsible and exploitative. Mm-hmm. And now we're, I mean, I, I didn't, I was right about one thing on the show last week when I said that um, essentially the, the deal that would emerge uh, between the Democrats and Republicans um, with regard to um, the status of childhood arrivals and also their parents and, you know, other things within like the chain migration, uh, sorry, the chain migration and um, diversity visa lottery programs um, was that, you know, it was going to be something about like unwinding probably one or two of those things um, at some point in the future, and then also, and, and also giving you know obviously amnesty to the the DACA's, the, sorry, the DACA recipients and uh, all yeah. dreamers eventually, but in return it was going to come you know at the cost of you know twenty five or or thirty million or billion dollars in in border funding. Oh yeah, uh, that's which is, the, which is I mean it's not going to be a wall, but it's going to be giving money to ICE to expand yeah. the wall enforcement I think. and yeah. I think unless the Trump administration is really bold, the wall is going to be a metaphor for increased border funding. Well, it kind of always was. Yeah. I mean, but they they always kept that specter of actual concrete wall around. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, it was always whatever it meant to people, right? Like, Like Donald Trump, a lot of his, like, a lot of his campaign was about speaking to several different audiences at the same time. Yeah. So you can kind of like imprint whatever policy you preferred onto Trump's platform because yeah. he never really took any real positions. Yeah, and, and we're he'd seeing go back this and forth, and people wouldn't hear about him like switching. Or, yeah, you know. and we're seeing this again with him switching uh, his course again on immigration, which mm-hmm. is interesting because a lot of Trump supporters who were initially unfriendly to immigration are now. Um, taking the Donald Trump position, which is immigration as long as it's merit-based and reciprocal, which Donald yeah. Trump, which well, is a meme that's brought, brought up a lot. And he brought it up at Davos, too, where he said, we're not abandoning the world order. I'll get into this later. But he said, essentially said that America is just looking to make a, a new deal, pretty much, uh, for the yeah. world order. And, I mean, a lot of the—just to kind of go back to what you were saying before, is a lot of— um. Trump supporters, like when you talk to them about, or well, like you'd see like interviews where they're talking about their opinions about um, immigration or you know the status of people who don't have papers in this country, and a lot of their complaints would be like sort of these weird legalisms, where it'd be like, well, like they, they didn't, you know, they didn't do it properly, right? Properly, like Which, what? I mean, well, like they didn't wait and they didn't like wait for a green card. They didn't you know, oh, yeah, apply yeah. for citizenship and wait like everybody else. So yeah, it's it's sort of a perception of people. It's sort of a fairness. It's like a fairness question. And yeah. Which, of course, like, it kind of breaks down when you talk about, you know, people who are brought here as children because, like, you know, you're not really committing a crime there. And that's that's kind of been people's – that's kind of been Democrats' point all along. Yeah. Um, some Republicans would because they're just hardline on the law. Yeah, well, some – yeah, I mean, th- there's definitely a large amount of Republicans who just want, like – Law. Well, no, just by, by dint of having – uh, they want more white people in the country by dint of having fewer people who are non-white. Yeah. Um, so like there are yeah there are and like there's like there's I mean those people have been more activated and, and vocal since. Um, yeah, we talked about it on the show last week where like yeah. it's it's kind of this idea where you connect being American and and whiteness like together yeah. and even if you're that kind of informs their politics. Yeah, it's yeah. a rising wing in the Republican Party. Um, and I'll, I don't think all Trump supporters are like this, but it. Um, I mean, certainly, it's, Stephen, it's a present, but like they've, they've certain, risen to the mainstream because mm-hmm. they view their rhetoric as more acceptable. But I don't, 
I don't know if they're going to have much substantive policy changes other than like general well, yeah, na- general nativism, they, which is what Trump is doing. They, they are a small minority. It's like you know, in yeah. the Trump administration, it's pretty much a Stephen Miller right now, which is that um, he's a uh, the thirty year he's like the the thirty year old um, uh, former Jeff Sessions aide mm-hmm. who like I mean he I mean he looks like he's like fifty five. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so. Um, yeah, and like he's just, he's very skeptical of, of um, any amount of immigration. Like he thinks it's bad, and like it's in a way it's kind of tied to this this idea of like whiteness in a yeah. very uncomfortable way. And or sorry, not even like uncomfortable, but I think Trump like is probably going to start distancing himself from that just because like people are starting to to really notice how corrosive his influence is. And I Who mean, do you but think is other responsible? People, but well, I mean, him and also. Um, Who's his chief of staff right now? Is it John Kelly? Yeah. yeah. John Kelly's a, a an immigration hardliner as well. Yeah. And again, it's not like as well as maybe not. They don't see it as an explicit explicit whiteness, but it could be like a cultural whiteness or like yeah. a cultural. I don't. Idea I don't know of if John. American I don't know if John be. Kelly has that opinion, but it definitely seems There's, to be within Stephen Miller's you know mind. Oh yeah, definitely. Stephen Stephen Miller definitely has it. You can go back. He's and, always been a radical on immigration and been very abrasive. With yeah, I mean, you can go. There's a there's a there's a really good story. Probably one of my favorite news stories from last year was about him. You you read it too, right? Well, we're about detailing his like high school experiences. Yeah, and he was yeah he went to a high school that was full of uh, people of Hispanic descent, and he was well, it was like a cushy Santa Monica like, yeah like public school, but like obviously there's lots of Hispanic people that live in California, right? And yeah. he was he was mad that like people were speaking Spanish in school and like he wanted to get a band and like mm-hmm. he would throw he would like throw trash fits. on the ground and like he'd throw fits. Yeah, he he just he just seemed like one of the I don't know how to describe him, just like a just a genuine reactionary. Yeah, you know, yeah. But like it, it was against like because he grew up in a very liberal area, so he just became like this like yeah he heterodox be- conservative. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, know. he's he's very much internalized the idea of conservatives as uh, you know Constantly, a persecuted like, class. Yeah, no, that's he, what he, lived he in. has the most like put upon personality. Like when you hear him like talk, like it's it's just like he's somebody who like he probably wasn't yelled at a ton when he you know wasn't or sorry he probably wasn't like sorry let me rephrase this. He seems like the kind of person who, like, really only comes into himself when he's being yelled at by other people uh-huh. for, like, crossing, like, you know, societal boundaries. Yeah. Which is, like, what he did in high school, whereas, like, people were just, like, yeah, like, he's just weird. Like, he would, again, like, going back to, you know, having, you know, basing his um, student council campaign around, like, getting Spanish banned and, like, you know, having this big speech or, sorry, having um having this, like, article, this news article in the paper where he was, like, we should just throw trash on the ground so the janitors have something to do. And yeah, it's just like, but I don't know. It's just weird. This is interesting because Stephen Miller was, in fact, the mm-hmm. one who called a bunch of hardline immigration uh, people in um, the Trump administration and offered mm-hmm. them and told them about this deal, which would uh, give 1.8 million undocumented Amer- uh, immigrants a uh, pathway to citizenship in exchange for the 25 billion that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um but and they this is due to the hardline immigration. I think that this is the Trump administration seeing that if they're going to fulfill this promise of increased, uh, you know, border funding and make the president look like a successful deal maker, then they're going to have to compromise with uh, the Democrats as well as more moderate Republicans mm-hmm. um, who don't lo- who are uh, affected negatively by the idea of Donald Trump or of them supporting Donald Trump as, like, alt-right or whatever. But all, mm-hmm. I think still supporting this pa- this um, bill could be risky for some more 
I guess, hardline or ideologue Democrats and moderate Republicans. Mm-hmm. People are like, you don't compromise with Trump at all on anything, especially with the wall. But I think it could be successful. I view it as a very cold political, I mean, not very cold, but just like a way to get the wall while working within the paradigms. That they I think have. I think that could shift just because I, I think they're doing it right. It's just mostly being led by like 2020 people who, who are trying to, you know, have a pure record against Trump. But yeah, I think if Democrats take back the take back the House, like or, you know, even the Senate, like, if that happens, then I think that they would, I think that, like, Donald Trump would sign anything they passed to him, provided he had some amount of input on it. Oh, definitely. Like, I think, I think he would totally, like, govern that way. Um, yeah, yeah. And he would, um, he would, when speaking about it, he would present it as uh, yeah, like, America first, however. He's, like, making a deal, and, like, like it's, yeah, so, anyway, but, um, Sorry, transitioning sort of. So tr- Trump went to uh, Switzerland. Yeah, this weekend he New took York a or this he week, took rather. a big. He and the uh, his other elites took a vacation to Switzerland mm-hmm. uh, as a part of the Davos summit uh, at the um, as a part of the World Economic Forum. Um, the World Economic Forum is an international organization um, that provides a platform for leaders from all around uh, the world. It's a yeah. no- nonprofit based in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Um, it's an international body, and they have an annual meeting at the end of January in Davos um, where business leaders and political leaders um, come together and discuss economic planning. There's people from uh, all around the world, and they also have e- regional meetings in Africa, East Asia, Latin America, China, India, etc., uh, so it's pretty much just like, like they say, world economic form. And anyway, uh, the Trump administr—or I wouldn't say the Trump administration. Donald Trump's um, speech there that he gave was fairly surprising because a lot of people prepared for him, and just like last year, they're prepared to defend against him and this um, this idea of this America First policy. However, upon his speech and just coming there and what he the ideas that uh were presented it's more showing that he's willing to work within the uh framework of international institutions and as opposed to breaking down nato and um you know pulling out of the world trade organization or holding them accountable and doing these other things which um a lot of people in the international world order uh would have viewed as destructive to just the international institutions that have been built, supported by the United States. That's what they viewed it as, is the United States retreating into isolationism. Hence, with the slogan like American First and all this, uh, which were from pre-World War II when we were against the American involvement in the war. Um, However, Trump offered messages of reassurance at Davos, pretty much stating that America first does not mean America alone. That's what he said. Uh, That's an actual quote from the speech. Um, This is continuing from a New York Times article. Some people are considering Donald Trump to be a changed man. Um, And he took credit for strong economic growth as well as the tax cut package. uh, he, He credited those as being responsible for the economic growth recently since he's taken office however as new york times pointed out this is this growth has sustained since as he pointed out in a speech since the election which is technically true some very obama-esque word engineering there 
um, where it's technically true, however, it's inaccurate, where it started after his election, which was in November, which was still under the Obama administration. Are you talking about the economic expansion? Yeah. Yeah. Um, started mm-hmm. since then. So it was like, yeah, well, since my I mean, election. But it, I mean, to be fair, though, like some some amount of the the stock market growth can be attributed to him just because i mean it's it's not really like him specifically it's just like yeah a, a yeah, republican yeah well it's just republican like republican enters office stocks go wild well because nobody was expecting donald trump to win and then when he did all of a sudden it's like republicans control the house senate and the presidency now so it looks like the idea of a tax package yeah. is, is looking you know looking a lot more likely yeah um he he offered in the speech it was uh surprisingly sentimental for donald trump he talked about uh, global economics and capitalism as being able to solve, uh, lift people out of poverty and misery and whatnot and res- and get rid of wealth inequalities or destructive inequalities. Um, however, one thing that I thought was interesting was he pointed out state control of economies as an enemy to markets as well as rogue states and, um, oh, terrorism. So the sor- this is interesting because he's sort of aligning these for- American foreign policy and American nationalism in these enemies that he's doing as being the enemies of the international world order, too. So he- Trump, it seems, has been, I think, been coached that the international order can be worked with and engineered to American interests. Because- and that's largely what it is because the world plays by the rules that the United States set. We have a lot of... Um, as Bill Nye pointed out, soft power, um, I, which is like culture. Wait, Bill Nye? No, not oh, Sorry. Bill Nye. The I mean, science guy? No, not Bill Nye. Um, I think Robert Nye is his name. He's a oh, political okay. scientist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, not Robert Nye. Something Nye. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, Sorry, jo- I'm, just... I'm joking today. Anyway, he pointed out that uh, American... Um, around the world, the United States has a lot of soft power, i.e. cultural power, and just legi- global legitimacy granted to it by the support that it gives to other countries or just popularity of its culture or um, its ideology. And this guided a lot of the Obama administration's actions, and perhaps now the Trump administration may be reorienting its focus and seeing soft power as a more uh, beneficial thing to the United States. And... Perhaps they're going to, uh, people within the Trump administration, that's what I mean, um, going to utilize Donald Trump as a tool of soft power, which I think we're starting to see with the shift from tweets being abrasive and whatnot. There are still some leaks of offensive comments like the asshole uh, controversy, which I talked about, which I view more as a leak, which turned into a sort of symbol of cultural division in this country uh, between conservatives and liberals. But... Um, I think that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an example of like two, like two people hearing the same thing but interpreting it like way differently. You yeah. Know? Um, but anyway, that was due to I think uh, just distrust of Trump himself, and mm-hmm. I think there have been politicians previously who have supported the world order, but have said other, I guess, controversial things similar to those lines, but. Substantive policy is what matters, and this might be an indication that Donald Trump and the people within his administration are willing to work within the world order because they see its benefits. Um, And the world order, just to reiterate again, is the sort of institutions that the United States have been built, the United States and its allies, such as NATO, um, 
United States support for the UN and the World Trade Organization, just uh, American world leadership and international cooperation backed up by American um, military presence, which allows for world peace. Um, so these sort of things have been critiqued, as well as TPP. He brought up, he reassured uh, at TPP in his speech uh, that the countries, they will follow along with the trade deal and support their allies in the region. Another symbol, uh, maybe, of this reorientation. Um, so apologize for the sort of confused, uh, ridden uh, memo. Or yeah, I, I don't. So you really think this is like a shift? I, I think that you know he's capable of making. No, I don't think it's a nice shift. speeches to every me, now and then. But. Yeah, to me, it's the same thing. It's not like they're going to completely destroy, um, you know, these institutions that are so aligned with American interests. Excuse well, me, and the thing like too, NATO and well, other things, or do things that ruin the relationship completely with our allies. <clears throat> it needs substantive. The signal needs to be costly, which I bring up a lot um, mm-hmm. in terms of like reconciliation or uh, showing reassurance or something. It needs to be, have like a substantive cost to you, which is why you know a speech or an Olympic march doesn't matter that much in terms of showing, uh, I guess, desire for peace or anything. Um, but substantive action does. So an example of a of a costly signal would be, um, I guess, um, with the Seven Days War, um, Arafat pulling his troops out of within Egypt. I may be getting that incorrect, um, but something along those lines where you you show that. You're willing to give something up in order to have like peace or cooperation or something, and this a speech alone isn't good enough. Is pretty much what I'm saying. So we'll mm-hmm. have to see what. I think we already have seen echoes of it in terms of foreign policy uh, in the United States supporting our Eastern European allies against uh, increasing Russian uh, pressure in the region, especially in Estonia, uh, Ukraine, Poland, these sorts of countries. Um, we're in contrast, which a lot of, um, I guess, uh, international relations hardliners who were anxious upon Trump getting elected, that there would be cooperation with the Russians, raw power interests of the United States, as well as, um, the benefits that we have from the institutions and norms that we have built, um, just reorients the behavior. So Donald Trump is sort of realizing um, the costs and benefits to the institutions that we have built. Yeah, and that's the, the the thing too is that like a lot of the the current world order is like set up explicitly to benefit the U.S. Yeah. So like and like when Trump's like messing it up, like he's usually usually just hurting you know the U.S. in some way. Like I can think about his yeah. all of his tweets around like it's this was like the the second North Korea prov- provocation thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the first one, but. Like he, there's a pretty. I've heard some pretty good arguments that like he probably swung the Korean election um, in favor of the the more pro North Korea um, reinv- or the, the 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 candidate that was warmer towards North Korea. Yeah, like, which so makes sense because um, you see the United States because he, again, he's an, like whipping up um, yeah, anxiety. It, it draws a. You know, it makes it seem like the South and the United States interests aren't aligned. If the United States is agitating for war, then the United States, um, or 
is doing things that aren't in line with the interests of the South, mm. then they will be perceived to be the bad yeah. guy, which will give the North mm. an in route for um, reconciliation, mm. which I think we're seeing with the uh, Olympic Olympic yeah. March, which I talked about last week. I mean, yeah, this week. is like an example. Another thing would like be it, like he, it, he recently um, withdrew or he's withdrawing funding from like Pakistan and like, yeah, Pakistan's like a pretty terrible country with regard to being an ally to the U.S. Like they actually really yeah, aren't. Yeah, um, they flip flop a lot. But like, you know, they do have a lot of nukes and they are right by India and like, you know, in the long run, like. Yeah, we're going to have to do something with like it. It's, well, I'm saying like in the long run, though, like it's that money is like. Like, again, like, I'd rather we weren't in a situation where we were sending them money at all. But, like, if that's the price of keeping them, essentially paying them off to be less provocative towards India or maybe, you know, allowing U.S. the U.S. to, to go into their uh, country and take out terrorist targets, I suppose. And, like, maybe that's okay, right? Yeah, it right. may – these long-term, co- like, small costs may result in even larger costs if they're yeah, that's gotten what I'm rid of. It's like he's he's going after a lot of the things that, like, cost us money, but, like, he doesn't understand – like, it doesn't seem like there's much consideration for, like, the benefits of, like – like, we're not just spending money for no reason, right? Yeah. You know, so it's just – yeah. Uh, Trump Seems to be a dominant theme. Yeah. Um, here's another news update, this time from Eastern Europe, interest, uh, region of my interest. Um, so Milos Zeman, who was a caustic po- – as the New York Times pointed out, I should mention this – caustic populist from uh, the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. So he's highly uh, anti-migrant. He uh, is anti-EU. He's abrasive. He's a little sexist. He's a little racist. Very similar to uh, Donald Trump, which a lot of people have pointed out. Or a lot of or a lot of populist people are around the world. Um, anyway, he was reelected. Um, and so check elections. Zaymon beat Drahos to win second term. Apologies for that. My other computer died when I was reading this thing. Um, so. His prime minister is Andre Babish, who is a billionaire businessman who has similar anti-political sensibilities, where he has pictures of him peeing on the street, which I learned about in my Eastern European uh, seminar class, mm-hmm. um, and drinking and whatnot. Same with uh, Zaymon, to look like, you know, relatable to the common people, and as opposed to these bureaucrats often um, Brussels or their cronies which are they try to present as traitors to the country and the interest uh portray them as a term that comes up used by conservatives in um eastern europe as well as conservatives here is liberals um because they are pro uh capitalist there's a lot of nostalgia for communism in these regions uh, as well as just distrust for people in urban areas kind of similar to the united states as well as a lot of countries in um Western Europe, although it has more roots along with uh, communism as well as the perception of, like, the elites versus the people, which have get been entrenched as political norms. And in addition, uh, the president is pro-Russian, um, which makes sense with him wanting to play off of the interest between the uh, European Union and Russia. He has less trust for the European Union and Brussels and is more aligned with the country's national interests, um, which the Russians will inevitably try to exploit for their own interest, which, um, according to um, some sources, it's mentioned a lot, um, the Russian government is 
um, intervening in elections uh, in Eastern Europe, which kind of led to the the meme that the Russians intervene in the United States election to prop up a populist that sows social division in the country that is taking place in Eastern Europe. And the point is to prevent these countries from getting aligned with uh, the European Union and to provide a way for these countries to align themselves with Russia's sphere of influence so Russia can uh, regain its former glory or whatever Putin's doing, uh, which is Russia is more focused on domestic affairs, in my opinion, with its international actions. Um, Dreho spoke out against the assault before the vote. Uh, he was hit by a barrage of online attacks with emails and social media ports spreading misinformation about him. They also alleged that Drehos was behind a secret globalist society it had <laughs> hidden plans to open the country into mass immigration and as a pedophile. So just going to show um, the Russians may be behind this, but there's also, uh, you know, a sort of... Um, What's the term? Echo chamber effect that we see in the United States where people just sort of break down into just like cultural ideals because they don't understand politics and they don't want to and or politics become highly personalized and highly partisan. So it, it just it just feeds into a just populist rage of people who don't understand things. Um, which I think we see here in the United States with Infowars. That was a very Infowars sort of thing. I'm sure they regurgitated it. And I'm sure the Russians are getting in on it. I'm, it makes sense. I mean, it doesn't take much to have a social media troll or something. Um, it'd be interesting to see the... This has been a meme in the mainstream media. There are a lot of people don't question it. I'd like to see the proof of it. But it seems very probable. You know, it's one of these, one of these things that, um, you know, it spreads around like wildfire because it's seems logical but is it really or is it really uh actually happening one of these sorts of things which we see a lot in this social media era where people see something they assume it's true and then it just spreads around because people get that impression where it's not completely untrue but it's it seems you know it's kind of riding that line uh believability um, so Zaman's victory will be a boost for Babish, a close ally. Babish endorses Zaman in the presidential campaign, while Zaman has said he will continue to support the businessman's attempts to form a government. Um, Chef advocates for closer integration of the country with Western allies fear there could be a shift the other way. I talk about this. Um, continuing along with the trend in the other members of the Visegrad group, which include Hungary, Poland, and Slovakia. Uh, these are Central Eastern European countries that are... Um, um, more materially wealthy and are more uh, oriented or had a desire to orient toward Europe and were the first ones to uh, ascribe to the European Union's demands for um, economic transition um, as well as democratization um, as requirements for membership, and they obtained their membership in the uh, mid-2000s. Um, so there's fear that this could result in anti-EU presence, but of course this may not be the case. However, it still shows, um, sort of a democratic backsliding within the region and sort of return to these old communist era norms of like, um, building these, uh, hierarchies within the party and the, uh, individual leader, um, which is taking place in certain countries like Hungary, uh, or we have these sort of highly personalized leaders, who are just running their party is backed up by their own charisma or their own values or abrasiveness or whatever, which is happening in the Czech Republic with Bob Yush and Zaman. 
Um, so just sort of uh, the global trend of pop- global populism, how it's impacting uh, countries in this region. Czech president fends off challenger, dashing hopes for EU EU integration for now. Um, that was my presentation. Mm-hmm. Have any comments? Clap, clap, clap. No, I don't really know much about, much about Eastern Europe politi- European politics. So. Why not? It's interesting. Um, I'm a lot more into like like uh, I definitely re- I read a lot of like Eastern European history, but I, I just haven't really. You're not even into Russian politics. Come on, man. Oh, not really. I've been. I mean, I read I read secondhand time. <laughs> that was about it. I finally finished it too. It's it's actually a really good book. Yeah. Um, Do you have any new um, anecdotes from that book? I mean, the entire the the entire book is a series of anecdotes, but they're just really interesting. Um, Do you have any? I'm trying to think nuggets? of nuggets. Like, it it gets less sad. Um, I don't know. It's I guess I guess I should just say that Second in Time is um, a collection of. It's an attempt by a reporter, or sorry, a journalist um, who's written others. Um, sort of, um, she does this writing style where she blends fiction, like she like will re- rewrite stories in her own like prose, and she'll kind of like edit them and do her own, like kind of make them her own. Mm-hmm. But they're based on like real events, so it's kind of this um, fusion of, of different uh, styles, and it's kind of her own thing. Um, and her name is Svetlana Alexievich, and she she wrote Second in Time, which took her like two decades to write, I think. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, a little, a little short of two decades to write, and it's about sort of attempting to um, answer the question of like, what is a Soviet man after, or people's attempts to to answer, um, what is a Soviet man in the wake of the the um, fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of communism, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of what is how they how they interpret their own history. Yeah, you like your so, whole culture will be. So there's know, there's a lot of like there's down. a whole sequence of events. Um, because sorry, like I just was never taught in in any history class I've ever taken before, like what actually was happening on the ground in the Soviet Union during the during the yeah during we, the, here during in the, the West late, we were taught yay it's open yeah so just kind of like even like my German history class it only like went into essentially it'll be like well German people were were trying to flee through like Czechoslovakia I think it was through Czechoslovakia they're fleeing to Western Europe and like see, being seeking like refugee status. And then, like, two years later, and then there were, like, riots, and, like, three years later, the Berlin Wall fell down. Yep. And, like, that's kind of it. And then, like, they'll talk about how um, Eastern Euro- or sorry, Eastern German money was exchanged for Western German money at a three-to-one ratio or something like that. And it's pretty much all yeah, yeah. All that, that there is about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and mostly present it's, like, a good thing. Like, it's... Oh, yeah, dang. but, like, everything that was happening in, like, the Soviet satellite countries, it's it's insane. And I guess, I guess it's, this kind of yeah, gets back it, to Eastern it Europe. It does but, get a little wild when you well, go... Well, so, you basically, you, you were having pogroms against, like, Russian speakers in those countries after the fall of, of communism. And, mm-hmm. Except in Estonia. And I, I just... I, this isn't to, like, justify or, like, defend um, Putin's intervention in the Ukraine, but... If you do recall, one of the the main excuses he used was that he was protecting, uh-huh. he was interceding on the, on the behalf of the Russian minority, and like, yeah. I remember hearing that and thinking it was kind of like, I was like, why would you even say that? It seems like kind of a weak attempt at justification, but it makes sense from after the learning Russian about angle. the the widespread um, persecution of Russian speakers in com- in former Soviet um, republics after the Cold War, it does it does start to make a lot more sense, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, then and then we get in the real reason is because. Is Ukraine was about to sorry join the Europe was going to join the European Union and, yeah yeah that's and the border lot. no and the border of um, Western Ukraine or sorry yeah Eastern Ukraine rather 
is 600 miles from from Moscow. That's why. Yeah. It's too close. You know? Made them uncomfortable. They're going to lose all sorts of clout, and they're going to have to well, yeah, bow it would, down it'd be to like the if, West. It would be like if like some pro-Chinese like um, government came into power in like mexico like we would we yeah. would we would freak out you know so yeah, I, this okay. isn't like justifying anything but i'm just saying like let's kind of step into their shoes for a second yeah um and obviously not condoning the violence that has occurred since then yeah but. and a lot of putin's international action for example that one i think is in an attempt to gain domestic legitimacy which a lot of people yeah. forget about and same people forget about that angle in terms of the foreign policy arena this sort of liberal internationalist where um angle where it's domestic ideology and domestic viewpoints that matter as well and like goals for domestic legitimacy which could explain north korea's behavior as well you know whenever a country's acting you know wacky or doing you know hardline realist moves you should look into the inside of the country and you and in russia you see putin as like a defender mm-hmm. of russian identity who yeah is like the first strong leader that putin has had yeah. or not I putin didn't... russia has had because and their <clears throat> contrast to their you know previous president who was you know left office you know sick as well a dog and i mean and he also like has been definitely he's pickled he's liver. been putting more funding towards like pensions too and like you know a lot of like yeah, virtually populist. all Russian, virtually like all Russian wealth was wiped out after the fall of communism because like the currency collapsed, you know. So it's like people that had saved their entire lives or people who were on like fixed incomes, all of a sudden they were making nothing, and you you had all these like, I mean, they're just accounts of like what was happening in like yeah. Moscow. Or, and sorry. a lot of they had full employment under communism. So when you know you had privatization. Yeah. It led to increasing unemployment numbers because all these people, you know, you don't need some, you don't need all these people who get paid to take breaks pretty much. Breaks are very common because, you know, they had an overabundance of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Periodic breaks during on the job, which is kind of a problem after in the 90s to reorienting people to a capitalist economy. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's like other things too that were like wrong with it. Like clearly like a lot of people that could have had like, who could have been holding like better jobs or were more fit to be working in certain areas were not doing that because it was essentially if you wanted more free time you could just take a different job like being a janitor or something and you would make about the same amount of money but have more more time off and more time to do it to yourself and like i'm not you know from like a i guess from like a society's you know a societal perspective you want people you want the best people doing you know Mm-hmm. the best job or the, the job that like they're suited for and like capitalism seems to align people more towards that if like you are talented you get paid more for instance to be a doctor right yeah um i'm not saying like there are again there are like problems with that as well but like it's just you know yeah it was very yeah very like if you didn't want to work now. you didn't like really have to like work as much no nope. you could find ways to not work yeah um all right, I mean, you want to yeah. take a break? Yeah, let's take a break, and then um, we'll get into our discussion. We're going to talk about Dune. Flick. We're going to talk about Dune the movie, I think. All right, I've never watched this movie. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. to hear your tales about yeah. it. We're going to talk about it, and then maybe right. Dune the book will come later. All right, All right see y'all on the other side. Hey, Bennett. What's up, man? Have you heard the one about the guy who gets emotionally wrecked by a seven-year-old? No. What about the one where North Korea and South Korea almost started World War Three? No. What about the one where the guy tracks down the murderer of his childhood hamster? No.
Listen to Hypernormal at 4 p.m. on Sundays on WSUM. Looking for another way to support WSUM while also looking fresh? You've come to the right place. You can rep your favorite college radio station by purchasing official WSUM merch. Visit our website at wsum.org and click on the shop button where you can browse through t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, and much more. Whatever the weather, WSUM has you covered. Looking for a DJ or a way to promote an event for your student organization? Look no further. WSUM provides free on-air promotion and DJing services to any student organization on campus. For more information, email community at wsum.wisc.edu. On Wednesday, February 7th, the Spring Student Organization Fair returns to the Cole Center. From 5 to 8 p.m., find out information and connect with hundreds of registered student organizations. The fair is open to all students. Just remember to bring your student ID as it is required to get in. This message is sponsored by the Center for Leadership and Involvement, the Associated Students of Madison, the Center for the First Year Experience, the Daily Cardinal, the Multicultural Student Center, Student Prince, We Conserve, Wisconsin Union Directorate, and WSUM 91.7 FM Madison. You, 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 you are, you are, you are, you are fake news. Sir, go ahead. Can you stay? You, 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 you are, you are, you are, you are fake news. Sir, go ahead. Can you stay? You, you are fake news. People may not have known about it if you hadn't bothered with it at all. For real news and analysis in this era, take a breath with the Dialogue Squad. Saturdays at 3 p.m. on WSUM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dialogue Squad. Real news, people. Welcome back to XX underscore Dialogue underscore Squad underscore XX. I am Wacky Willie D, a.k.a. William Doty, here with co-host. DJP, a.k.a. Jacob Peterson. I always notice a little pause there. You have to think mm-hmm. about that. Yes, I, uh, you know, you come in the studio, you forget who you are. Right? Yeah, that's true. What yeah. stays in the studio goes, what happens <laughs> in the studio gets. What stays in the studio goes in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Don't take anything from the studio. That's good life advice. Um... <laughs> We're going to take a little break from international relations mm-hmm. and domestic politics analysis for to hear about a uh, yeah. book that Jacob this has is, been wanting be to tell very... me in the world, or not a book, a uh, flick. Well, so we do book club. Film. Sometimes we do book club, but the, I think we should, start, related. we should start doing movie club. So movie club this week is going to be Dune the Movie, um, which was directed by... David Lynch? Yes. Sorry, I was seeing if you knew that. <laughs> uh, we recently watched Firewalk with well, Firewalk with Me, which is the sequel to Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Like, Not That's the a sequel, good... the prequel. Oh, it's a prequel? Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I, again, I'm... It's, a, it's as good as the Star Wars prequels. Not, yeah, my I'm engagement kidding, with Twin I'm Peaks, kidding. like it starts and ends with the first like seven episodes of the first season, which I just have rewatched like, maybe a dozen times. Yeah, um, it's a really good show. Yeah, it's, it's cool. So, yeah, so David Lynch, um, this was kind of like a big budget picture for him. Um, he got to start directing like Eraserhead, which uh, fun fun movie fact is he lived the 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 stable that is in Eraserhead 
that's where David Lynch was living. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was he was living in a in a in a horse house while he was filming that that movie, which is uh, oh yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, a um, literal horse house. Well, no, like no, like a like a state. Like he was like living in like one of the stalls. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway, so David Lynch directed it, um, and it came out in 1984. And, like it's a very it's a very 80s movie, and I think that's why it's like fun to trash on it. And people people get a lot a lot. There's a lot of mileage there if you if you do want to trash on it. And like, I would just say that there's a lot to love um, within this movie. It had it had a strange um, ensemble of of people brought into it because again, like David Lynch knows a lot of different people. You know, he traveled lots of in a lot of different circles. So like, you had um, I mean, I guess the main thing would would be like like Sting is in this movie, like from the police. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and Sting is Sting is a villain. Um, so I guess maybe we should start with some background, Will. So what do you know about Dune? Um, I know <laughs> that there's some like di- family dynasties or like mm-hmm. clans or something have like different funky sort of like vaguely, yeah. you know, so, vaguely human but like or European or Asian or whatever, but yeah. like funky alien names, and they fight over uh, spice to sell. Yes, and they don't have the computers. <laughs> they have sm- they just have really smart people with big brains. Yeah, you've, I mean, you've got a lot of it right there. So basically, like, the setting is... I um, played a video game. The first art re- real-time strategy game for the computer was Dune 2. Fantastic game. Oh, it, that sounds really it was fun. Made by the ones, it was made by the company that made Command & Conquer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was made before Command & Conquer, and they used the same gameplay style, but they just tuned it up for the series, Command & Conquer. Yeah, okay, so um, I guess like some background. The universe is, imagine if you transplanted the Holy Roman Empire into space, basically. So every every planet is, obviously the, the, the galaxy is inhabited by humans, right? And mm-hmm. every single planet is inhabited by... Um, is a, sorry is ruled by by a different family and some families have more than one planet but it's usually like one one planet per family right and they essentially yeah. rule it as like as like a prince would rule a kingdom and like take over a kingdom right so you, yeah. the planets can tra- transfer between families and all the plan like the the way the galactic government works is there's this thing called the, the this governmental body called the Lanzarad which is control and like the and the leader of the Lanzarad is like the most powerful house right yeah so it's kind of like the Holy Roman Empire um and the entire like glo uh, sorry the uh, I was gonna say global the the universal I guess um, uh, economic system is held together by the Chome Corporation, which is also known as the Spacing Guild, and they control mm-hmm. all transportation between planets, right? Yeah. And this is done through the use of um, of a psychoactive chemical that allows you to perceive higher dimensions, and it's called folding. So you fold space, and then that allows like you to be transported vast distances in yeah. no amount of time, essentially, right? Uh-huh. And uh, these, uh, the Spacing Guild is, is um, the navigators do this, and they're humans that have consumed enough of this drug to um, induce this state. They, they don't really look like humans anymore. Uh, who do? The, the, the nav- they're called navigators, but they're, like, advanced humans. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so this kind of gets into, like, one of the things the movie does really well is, um, like, the, the best part of the movie, actually, is, like, the first scene where like um it takes so the this so the book sorry the movie opens up with um it opens up in the court of um house carino which is the most powerful house and family and has the emperor of the universe in it essentially right yeah 
and uh, it, it opens up there, and like he's dealing with like the emissaries from the Chome Corporation, and they br- they bring in these like this they bring in one of the navigators, right? Yeah, and like the the, the like the set decorations like incredibly lush, like everything's gold. Yeah, and there's all these like it kind of looks like a star, <laughs> it kind of looks like a Star Trek, um, like a Star Trek control room, but like incredibly ornate. So like, yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and it opens up in like these this crowd of so like it's like Donald Trump made Star Trek. Yeah, so there's like all these like courty like courtesans and, and sorry not courtesans. There's all these like you know governmental officials and everybody's kind of like a lay um, around in this room. Yeah, and like the doors open up and in walks these like hooded figures who are wearing like heavy like like you know rubber like suits essentially. Yeah, and they have like they have like you know breathing apparatuses on. And like it's just incredibly like intimidating. It's almost like when Darth Vader like first walks into um, like the hallway and um in uh, in the first Star Wars movie. You know, it's just like that kind of like that motion. And behind them is this giant tank containing this with like a glass. It's this like sorry, this like glass tank that um is sort of wheeled in. Yeah. And in it is like <laughs> is one of these navigators who's like this just. Well, he's it, they almost look like mole rats with like how like disgusting they are just like uh-huh. this giant like misshapen humanoid type thing but like it has like a giant head uh-huh. it's in like this it's in this like suspension of fog essentially right yeah. and it's just like incredibly intimidating and the emperor is like how was your travels and the and the, the the thing just like completely ignores it and just goes the spice <laughs> it starts talking about like the spice and stuff just like right to the point yeah and it's just this, this incredible scene and after that the movie does kind of go downhill but um, I do so think. So how does it go downhill? Well, so then okay, so then you you uh you you jump to like Paul Atreides, right? And, uh-huh. and he's he is the heir of House Atreides, which is a rising household. And the backdrop to that is House Atreides has been given control of the planet Dune, where all the the spice we talked about earlier that the, that the navigators use to um, fold space. It all comes from this one planet, and it's mined on um it's called Arrakis, right? Yeah. So they're about to take it over. Um. And the, the, the family that formerly held it were Atreides' rivals. They're called House Harkonnen. Um, Sting is the heir to uh, <laughs> to House Harkonnen. And, yeah. Um, yeah who's, so then, the, who's the head of House Harkonnen? The Baron Harkonnen. Can we talk about him? Yeah, so this this gets into, like, one of the other things that the movie does really well is, like, the, the Harkonnens are, like, the they're essentially supposed to be... They're essentially supposed to be evil, right? Like, they're, yeah. they're disgusting. Like, they're, they're murderous. And the what's thing, the, the planet they live on? What's it look like? It's like it's it's oh the planet they live on. Yeah. So they they so like the Atreides like they're noble and you know it's kind of like you know like hog like you know to bring this into like the Harry Potter realm. It's like Gryffindor versus Slytherin. You know. Yeah. Um. So like whereas like you know the Atreides are an example of how to properly run a vassal a vassalage, right? Yeah. The Harkonnens are the exact opposite of that. They have like slaves. They have arena fights. Um, their society is incredibly savage and brutal. And yeah. it's, it's based upon like the expendability of human life. And what the movie does really well is is portraying them as incredibly disgusting. And like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like the second you see them, you're just like, oh my gosh, these people are. The <laughs> so this is part of the reason it, why it was badly received. Yeah, and what what it does is it goes in like instead of like going in like like more of like because they kill a lot of people, it doesn't really go in that direction. It goes in more of this like. Like they're they're depicted as being like physically disgusting. Yeah. So you have like almost this like body horror um, take on the Harkonnens, and like I thought that was genius because like like the Baron Harkonnen is he's like on this like I mean he's he's depicted as like ugly in the books too, but like 
he just, just to, it was normal just to like see it like like visual just like to actually see it visualize yeah, he's was covered incredible. in boils yeah he's covered yeah he's covered in boils yeah and he's yeah again but like and he's like sweating and like there's all these like liquids going around during the scenes um and actually i do think sting did a pretty good job of playing fade um fade uh fade harkonnen um who is again he's sort of like the uh the opposite of 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 um of um Bear. Paul Atreides, Paul Atreides, rather. Uh-huh. Like, they're both, like, young scions of powerful houses, but, like, you know, Paul Atreides is, is a good one. And, the other and one fades the, the bad guy. Yeah, right. Um, uh-huh. And you actually find out that, like, I don't want to, I guess, I can spoil Dune. You actually find out the Har- that the Harkonnens and Atreides are, like, related. Oh, my um, God. So you kind of get this, like, this mythological trope where, like, the brothers kill each other to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In their struggle for power, mm-hmm. they forget all what it's all yeah. about. Yeah, so this, um... And again, I guess the reason why we're talking about this too is like there's probably going to be like a, a a reboot of it at some point. I hope like there's so. gonna they're, they're really I, I've been it's no, been I actually don't hope it's gonna it's gonna look like you know a terrible CGI piece of crap. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing too is like they did a really good job of of like like the visuals are amazing in this movie. Like they they like there's a scene where um so yeah let's give you a little more exposition. So Dune is a desert planet. Um, very few places are habitable, and like whatever. Whatever family happens to control at the time sort of like resides in the capital city, and they send out they send out like machines and crews to go mine the 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 spice which is which is in in the desert essentially and there's yeah there's concentrations of it and there's a connection there that um um essentially like spice is part of and sorry and inhabiting the desert um there's a, actually a very developed ecosystem and inhabiting the desert are these giant worms that are disturbed by like when you're mining for the spice the worms come. The worms come because they're attracted to the the vibrations. Uh-huh. So, like, if you're if you're walking in the open desert, for instance, you might be attacked by a worm because even that is enough to bring them towards you, right? So wow. you have to walk in like a sort of pitter patter. You can't you can't um you so, can't walk like at an even rhythm. So these worms yeah. are real. Yeah, the the worms are and the worms are giant too. That's the other good. They thing. actually trained worms. Um, and they they did a really good job of like or, or like Lynch did a really good job of um depicting. Of like actually like depicting the uh, the worms themselves and like the desert setting it's like very beautiful well why and like within the desert there's there's secret crypts that contain caches of water oh. and um like just like the scenes were there in the crypts like it's it's exactly like what it should look like you know uh-huh. um yeah so again like plus one for the the, the settings uh, visually and like also the sounds amazing too um yeah but yeah getting into like problems with the movie is like yeah, why was the movie so badly received? You keep I saying think, it's a mas- you keep saying it's a cinematographer I, masterpiece. I just well, okay, the reason why I was I think people really didn't like it was because Kyle like, McLaughlin They wanted Star Wars. Well, they wanted that and like Dune Dune like isn't really about fighting, you know. It's it's about it's about a lot of it's different things. It's about a weird alien world but full of weird alien yeah. people. Well, I think people what they really didn't like about it was Kyle McLaughlin like being cast as um and I, I actually, sorry, I'll just say that I, Kyle McLaughlin like was not re- the right person to be in the role because Paul Atreides is supposed to be this this um character who, you know, after he receives essentially the power of a god, the the ability to predict history and like understand what's going to happen to the universe and like induce different realities. Yeah, like it it eventually like tears him apart and kills him. You know. Oh yeah, like, the power that, that happens in the him. second Dune or yeah, sorry, the third, the second, no, the third Dune book. Um. So what's wrong with Kyle McLaughlin? Is that so? Like he's supposed Coop? to be—he's supposed to be this like feral prince. Like he's supposed to be, you know, on the edge of, 
whatever. And Kyle McLaughlin just plays it like way too coolly. You know. Oh yeah, he's not crazy enough. Yeah, yeah. It's well, not quite like that. He has like a little more unhinged. Like yeah. that's why like like he needs to be like Anakin. <laughs> yeah, another wonderful performance, right? Uh huh. Um, yeah. So like the, the casting is weird, and like the fight scenes are frankly bizarre. Uh, I'll say that 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 was that was weird too, and the way that like Lynch cut the movie up kind of robbed it of kind of robbed like the the reason why people like Dune is that or like why they like the, the story Dune is and like where its power lies really is in its ability to uncannily predict the the particulars of 20th century politics and that's why people liked it because it anticipated wars over scarce resources right yeah it, you know the, like the exact word that they use to describe the conflict that Paul will bring about is called a jihad oh resulting from God. like religious um, determinism stemming from a desert planet that controls you know oil. So like obviously the parallels like the Iraq the war Middle East. yeah and the, the the Middle East today too yeah, like all these global empires competing and not just that but there's, there's other things region. too it's it's and every time you go back to it, you pick on you pick up on something else. And like what I what I picked up like the last time I read it was um or sorry in reading the sequels I haven't actually read the book in like three or four years. But is it it on it it kind of it takes a very like dim view of of like democracy and it yeah. it kind of assumes that humans are just going to order themselves around powerful figures and that uh-huh. we like hierarchy. And like that's kind of happening in our world today, frankly, you know. Yeah. And that people are really concerned about democracy. Like it's it's more about like pragmatism. Yeah, it's more about like how much are you going to get from it, and like you know, right? So that, that's those are just some interesting things. And another like main theme of the book was like environmentalism. Like before the global environmentalist movement really existed, um, this this book was talking about things like climate change. Um, the the, the sorry the people that desert who I haven't mentioned yet. Um, they're the Fremen, and they're sort of like uh, Toregs. Uh, anyway, but Torigs, or yeah, sorry, whatever. Tories, <laughs> like the English. No, t- tor- <laughs> I think there's like an ethnic group that lives in the desert. Facebook.com/slash/dialogue-squad, SoundCloud.com/slash/wacky-willy-d. That's me. And again, that was Facebook.com/slash/dialogue-squad, SoundCloud.com/slash/wacky-willy-d. Go there, and you can find all of our episodes and funny political memes and whatnot, and shenanigans and etc. All sorts of s- stuff. Um, this has been Dialogue Squad, political talk show on WSUM. I am Wacky Willie D here with co-host DJP. Hope you enjoyed our show. Apologize for the uh, cut up mid part and all of our stammering earlier. Um, it's been a long week. Um, have a good Saturday, everybody.